Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com. This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis Public Radio. I'm Elaine Cha. And this is where things got very, well, weird. Well, that's when the sheriff got arrested. Okay. So this is... It was the beginning of when it really got bad. Do your business in public so that the people can follow how the money is being spent. Those are really important things to make sure that we require of our government officials. Do your business in public. On December 14, 2005, the dam at Tomsok Reservoir burst. It sent a billion gallons of water crashing into Johnson's shut-in state park, wreaking destruction on the park and nature that attracted visitors from St. Louis and all over the state. After the disaster, a different flood followed, $7 million of state aid that was supposed to flow into Iron County and Reynolds County to revitalize the area. A year ago, the fund had $3 million left. Today, it's under 165000 So what happened? Tony Messenger, a Pulitzer Prize-winning columnist for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, has been trying to figure that out, and he joins us now. Tony, welcome to St. Louis on the Air. Thanks for having me, Elaine. So, Tony, last month, the Post-Dispatch began publishing your four-part series, which investigates what happened to those millions of dollars Missouri set aside to help two Missouri counties recover from that Tomsock disaster. And the big takeaway that you found is that the fund is largely depleted. So we said that there's $165,000 left. Uh, Where did that money go? Well, most of it in the past year went to businesses that were controlled, are controlled, by people who had connections to the board. Uh, the, the, the largest uh, piece of money that went out, for instance, was a $395,000 uh, grant that went to a business owned by uh, a couple, David and Stephanie Mayer, who lived down there. David had been on the board and then resigned from the board and then a couple days later applied for a grant and got it. Okay. And, um, you know, really sketchy looking situation. Another gentleman named Michael Fleeg, who's from St. Louis, uh, did the same thing, was on the board, resigned, applied for uh, a grant uh, to help build a campground down there and got the grant. And the question isn't necessarily whether or not the, the, the money was spent on um, – bad ideas, uh, you know, much of the money that's been spent in the past year out of that fund is is going towards local businesses that may or may not have, some of them have a connection to economic development, some of them not so much. But, but when insiders are taking money that was put in there by the state to benefit the entire community and they're using it to benefit themselves... That's just really offensive to me, and that's what really drew me to the story. Yeah. So we mentioned in the introduction that there was destruction that happened. So I was not in Missouri at the time this dam failure occurred. Can you tell us about what happened then um, and you know, who it affected most? 
Yeah, so I was uh, the city editor in in Columbia uh, at the Columbia Daily Tribune at the time when it happened, and and it was one of these, you know, it was a really big statewide story when it happened. Uh, Ameren, Missouri, has a a hydroelectric plant on top of Prophet Mountain, and uh, a, a wall of that uh, uh, dam collapsed, and more than a billion gallons of water just flowed down. Uh, as you can imagine, as a as a massive, powerful river, um, uh, amazingly, you know, didn't kill a bunch of people because it was in the middle of the night in December. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, did cause massive problems for the the superintendent's family, and they lost their home and everything else. And um, but but caused just massive destruction to a really beautiful park, mm-hmm. and a lot of the money. Uh, Jay Nixon, who was the attorney general at the time, eventually got a $180 million settlement with Ameren to help rebuild the park. Most of that money went to rebuilding Johnson Shut-Ins Park, some of it to punish Ameren for their failures in, in, in allowing the, the dam to uh, degrade to the point where it would collapse. $7 million was just a very small part of that, but that was intended to help the folks rebuild their economy down there because obviously when Johnson shut-ins was closed for a period of time to be rebuilt and everything else. Nobody's going down there. Nobody's camping. Nobody's stopping at the restaurants. Nobody's staying at the hotels. Um, and it really had an impact in some of the small towns down there, right. Ironton and Pilot Knob and Arcadia. So that deluge dried up tourism, Yeah, it absolutely did. It, yeah. it really slowed it down and mm-hmm. it changed it for a period of time. And things have picked up. But, you know, small towns are, are difficult, you know, ecosystems. Yeah. Uh, you know, people stop going there for a period of time and it just sort of changes things. Mm-hmm. I'd like to bring another voice into this conversation. Eric Jett is the president and founder of the Rural Financial Corporation. Eric previously worked with the Iron County Economic Partnership, but eventually became a whistleblower and a key source in Tony Messenger's investigation. Eric, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me today, Elaine. So, Eric, tell us about this Iron County Economic Partnership, or ICIP. Um, This is a body that was created in 2011. What was it supposed to do? It was supposed to get money to the people who suffered losses after the catastrophe. Uh, Originally, it was combined with Reynolds County and Iron County. And for about two and a half to three years, nobody could decide what to do with the money. So it sat there and languished, and they did very, very small projects, but nothing to benefit the people when they really needed it. So they finally got together and broke it up. So they each got their own $3.5 million approximately. And so when you joined the, the partnership, it was in 2015. So 10 years had passed um, from the time that the dam actually failed. Were there other things that sort of rose to the top insofar as initial impressions went? The impression had always been that they didn't want to spend the money. And it was still almost all there after they brought me on. So my idea was, well, they can use that money to leverage and get grants for themselves and help the community that way if they don't want to just outright spend the money. So that was my approach with them, basically offering strategic ideas, strategic planning, and grant development. So how was that received? (laughs) They actually liked it in the beginning. Uh, They wanted to go for it. Um, But right away, I noticed some problems with the self-dealing. It started out small, 
So I brought in our CPA and we had a very large meeting complex about all they were going from being just a nonprofit to being a foundation, which has a lot of different rules and guidelines they have to follow, especially regarding self-dealing. And I wanted them to know where they stood and what could happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, the board really kept reins on it for about two years. And then uh, the president of the company and the president of the other nonprofit got together and gave themselves a quarter million dollars to form a coffee shop in town. Okay. So we're going to get back to this coffee shop. But Tony, with this money, was there some pressure to spend it? I mean, was there was it a problem that it was not being utilized? So in in going down to Iron County and talking to people, there's there's really sort of a mix of of views down in the local community. A lot of folks were upset that the money wasn't being spent. They wanted, you know, there were there were plenty of ideas and thoughts about, you know, what do we need to do to improve uh, economic development? And there's going to be competing ideas there. Do we need more restaurants? Do we need more hotels? Do we need music festivals? What do we need to do to draw people down to uh, Iron and Reynolds counties? Do we need a big sign on the on the on the highway? Do we need a, an advertising campaign? And there were lots of competing ideas over the years. And ultimately, for a while, the the money just wasn't spent. Where people really started to get upset in that community was after the the two hundred and fifty thousand dollar expenditure for the coffee shop that that uh, that took place. Because obviously, people were now paying attention. It's like, wait a minute, we saw these news stories in the local newspaper that you gave twenty thousand dollars to this nonprofit and twenty thousand dollars to this nonprofit to do something related to tourism, but you did two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to a nonprofit run by the president of the same board and you did that in closed session and nobody knew what happened and all of a sudden there's a new coffee shop in town. Yeah. And that's just, you know, that's really bad self-dealing. And and that was years ago. And nobody really paid a price for it. And mm-hmm. they still haven't really paid the money back to the to the nonprofit that that money never should have gone from the Iron County Economic Partnership to the loose Luke 16 nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just not the sort of thing that nonprofits are supposed to be able to do in yeah. terms of self-dealing like that. Erica, you are from that area, from what I understand. What was it like to see what was happening and, and not be able to change change things? Well, I'm from Jefferson County, so it's more of like an overview. I've seen, I see. I've seen what's going on at a distance. Um, I saw the progress they were making in the parks, and that was all good. They've really brought that back. But as far as the, the board itself and uh, getting the money out, we just had to find a different way, and that was my attempt. We need to take a, a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about some of those problems and continue this conversation with Eric Jett and Pulitzer Prize-winning columnist Tony Messenger. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com. Welcome back. 
Now, before the break, we were talking about the way the Iron County Partnership was spending this money. And Tony, you summarized this as being self-dealing. What does that mean? Well, it means that people who were in charge of the money were making sure that their businesses that they owned benefited from the spending of the money. Um, to the to the expense of of other businesses that applied to use that money, other nonprofits, and and you know the the sad thing about it is some of the money that I wrote about went to this gentleman named Michael Fleeg who um, is is developing a campground next to Shepherd Mountain Bike Park. There's a bike park that the city of Ironton built um, that's actually really the sort of thing that that economic partnership uh, existed to do. Uh, the bike park is bringing people to town. The the campground is sort of a glamping campground, which is this new, you know, trend apparently uh, amongst amongst <laughs> campers camping. these days. Glamour camping, right, and, right. And 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 I went down and visited the campground, and it's very nice. And 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 Mr. Fleek says, you know, he's spending the money for that, and it's going to bring people to town. And and that is the sort of thing that probably that money was intended for. But you can't be a member of a board and then devise the scheme to make sure that your business gets the money as compared to the 20 other people in town who are who are also offering glamping or you know trying to develop campsites or something else it's just too much of an insider dealing situation and it likely uh, violates various IRS rules that private nonprofits and foundations have to follow mm-hmm. and you know, it was it was interesting talking to Mr. Fleeg because as I explained this to him and said, look, you know, you know how this looks, right? You were on the board, you got off the board, you got the money. You knew exactly what you were doing. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I know how it looks. And but but it's not as bad as what those other people did. And and that's a lot of what is really sad about this story. The new folks who were self-dealing pointed to the old folks in town who were self-dealing and said, well, you know, that happened and that was really bad. What we're doing isn't quite as bad. Or, well, what I'm doing isn't quite that bad as look at those other people. They got $395,000. And it it was really sort of disheartening to see these folks kind of get it but not really get it. And Mm -hmm. in the meantime, now that fund is is basically gone unless somebody decides to do something about it and get that money back. And and that means that, you know, Iron County and Reynolds County are just sort of on their own. Mm -hmm. You had mentioned, Tony, earlier, a a coffee shop called uh, Luke 16. And Eric, you also brought this up too. $250,000 went to Luke 16, and it was supposed to build a coffee shop so it it didn't get built oh it got built oh okay it was built and it was supposed to be a training coffee shop is what they called it so they were training people i believe there were three people that might have went through the training program so at two hundred fifty thousand dollars, that's pretty expensive yeah and a quarter of a million dollars for a coffee shop down there when they could have rented property or the normal nonprofit thing to do would be to join one of the other nonprofit coffee sh- other coffee shops that are down there and do the same programs and not even spend the money. Mm-hmm. But instead, the uh, the president had this set up. His plan was that he was going to get that money in the end because nobody really follows up on anything. Yeah. And is that example representative of what was going on there? It was the beginning of when it really got bad. 
they were small deals before, maybe ten, fifteen thousand dollars that shouldn't have been done, but a quarter of a million dollars stands out. At, at the time, it was one of the biggest deals they ever did, and they kept it in secret. Yeah. Now, in 2019, you began filing complaints, Eric, with the Missouri Attorney General's office and the IRS. What is it that brought you to that point? I was working with them, and the the president of the company at the time, he got his quarter of a million. He wanted a million. He wanted a larger, uh, bigger sporting complex is what he wanted to design. And he threatened my contract and my business if I didn't help him out. So as I went to the board, he went to the board, and it became quite a battle. Mm. And I looked into him further at that time just to see what was going on, and I found out the background of his board. He had two boards he was running inside his nonprofit, one federal, one state, so he could have his family in control. Yeah. And the the amazing thing about what Eric did here, and this is so important, this is something that I do as a journalist all the time, is, you know, sometimes my work is only as good as the whistleblowers that I happen to – come across. And Eric is one of those. um, He's gotten a a tremendous amount of paperwork that, you know, he's he's not just pulling these things out of thin air. He's filed sunshine law request after sunshine law request to get the documents uh, to, to, to make the point. And he's passed those things on to law enforcement, local law enforcement, federal law enforcement, the state attorney general's office. And that, to me, is one of the other parts of this story that is frustrating. St. Louis, uh, uh, your, your listeners and, and, and folks who read my column and other, other work in the Post-Dispatch are used to seeing you know, this sort of malfeasance that sometimes happens with nonprofits and sometimes mm-hmm. happens with government money. And usually what citizens want is accountability. Right. And there hasn't been any yet in this particular case. Mm -hmm. So of all those complaints that you filed, Eric, what has happened with them? And is is Tony the one who's been most responsive to you? Well, his response actually got response from them. We actually showed up there and showed – they brought us the paperwork and the documentation. Unknowingly, they gave us virtually everything we need to move forward. (laughs) The, the things they gave us were outlandish. They thought they were giving us nothing, but it was key things that were showing what are what's being hidden, mm-hmm. where the facts are, what we have to go forward to get it. Yeah. So, Tony, what is it that you found in those Sunshine-requested documents? Well, I mean, partly that, that they weren't following Sunshine Law. Eric, Eric filed multiple Sunshine Law requests this year for documents related to the money that it was clear they were giving out. They actually posted on their Facebook page a list of, oh, look, we've we've given out all of these donations to these local companies. And it didn't take long to figure out, oh, wait a minute, some of those people are are, our board members or war board members. And so Eric started filing Sunshine Law requests for for that information. And, And the current board told him, oh, no, we don't have to follow the Sunshine Law. You can't have any of those records. And that's when I got involved, uh, was shortly after that. And I sent a Sunshine Law request and said, you know what? I'm not going to wait for you to produce it. Here's the deal. I'm coming to Iron County. I'm going to be there. On, it was a, happened to be a Thursday. I'm going to be there, and I want to examine your records. State law allows me to examine your records. And by then, they had realized oh, gosh, we actually do have to follow the Sunshine Law. And so they agreed to show me their records. Now, they didn't have everything that I wanted. They didn't have everything that they should have. But 
I met and and they invited Eric as well with with a couple of their board members in a in a library conference room and and looked through a lot of the minutes of the old meeting and that's where some of the records are really clear that the donations from this year are really questionable in terms of the timing and how they did it. Mm-hmm. We're talking today about an investigation into what happened to the millions of dollars that were supposed to help two Missouri counties after a dam failed in 2005. We're joined by Tony Messenger, Pulitzer Prize-winning columnist for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, and Eric Jett, a whistleblower who once worked for the Iron County partnership that was put in charge of those millions. So Eric, handing over of, uh, of documents, law enforcement got involved in this case. And this is where things got very, well, weird. <laughs> you gave your records to the Iron County Sheriff. What happened after that? I gave it to the last Iron County Sheriff first. And those records apparently disappeared. I gave him to the next Iron County Sheriff, and he said he was going to work on it thoroughly, and uh, one of his deputies, Deputy Kozad, was going to be in charge of it. Apparently, those two got together and finally made a report to the FBI. We followed up with them sometime in December just to see where it was going. My wife, actually, she, she says something has to be done. She says, so she was following up by email with them to see what was done, and uh, he said he took it up there. But then things got rough for him right after that. And by rough? Well, that's when the sheriff got arrested. Okay. (laughs) So this is, you know, uh, your listeners are probably familiar with this story. And and perhaps if they haven't read all my columns on the Iron County thing, didn't realize that there's at least a a tangential relationship. So Jeff Burkett, the the sheriff of Iron County, and two of his deputies and a, a local rancher all got arrested and charged with multiple felonies by the Washington County prosecutor related to an incident uh, in which they were uh, uh, allegedly tracking a local rancher's um, uh, girlfriend and the daughter that they share. And, And they were charged with all sorts of crimes. Well, those charges came not long after the process had begun that they were allegedly looking into the uh, Iron County Economic Partnership. I have no idea if there's any relationship. It seems like it's probably a stretch that there's a relationship. But the attorney for Mr. Burkett, the the, the former sheriff who's who's been removed from office and spent some time in jail after he was charged with these crimes, very much believes that there's a connection, that, that the charges that the sheriff faces now um, were brought by folks who don't want him looking into the Iron County Economic Partnership. Um, I, I don't know that that's going to be proved in court, but I think it's going to be discussed in court in in, in Mr. Burgett's case if, mm-hmm. if it ever makes it to trial. Yeah. Eric, as the whistleblower here, I'd like to get your view on this. What do you want to see happen next? Somewhere there has to be justice for all this. Uh, somehow we have to get that fund replenished. We've got to find somebody willing to take on this case. And uh, uh, apparently the attorney general's office does not have interest in it. The IRS in the past has not had interest in it. So we have to go beyond that and take action on our own. Mm-hmm. Tony, you've investigated the many ways government in the St. Louis region 
have misspent money or used their positions to enrich themselves or their friends. And I think there's some danger of thinking about all of the things that you all have described as being um, unique to a, a small rural area. But I mean, what lessons can we draw for our own region? When when there isn't accountability in the spending of public money, you know, power corrupts. And when folks think they can get away with it, then they do get away with it and they continue to try to get away with it. The the, the process of holding people accountable, whether it's a, a, a local alderman for taking cash in the back of a, of a gas station from somebody who wants him to approve a development or whether or not it's it's uh, people who run a nonprofit and take federal money or state money and then use it to enrich their own lives. Um, that's wrong. And people understand that that's wrong. And we don't make progress in fixing that problem unless people are held accountable. And that mm-hmm. hasn't happened in the Iron County situation yet. And I think the folks down there deserve, you know, some sort of justice for, you know, what happened to them. Yeah. And I mean, to what extent is what happened and, and continues there in Iron County a cautionary tale? Well, it's a cautionary tale because, you know, f- Folks were paying attention. Folks kind of cared about it. They they showed up at meetings. They raised questions about things being held in in closed session. And that's one of the other parts of the story that is really important to me. That body, when it was started by the attorney general's office, had to follow Sunshine Law, had to have public meetings. Those are really important things to make sure that we require of our government officials. Do your business in public so that the people can follow how the money is being spent. Tony Messenger is a columnist for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. You can read his investigation, which is four parts, of the Tom Sock Disaster Fund at stltoday.com. Tony, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. And Eric Jett is the whistleblower and the president and founder of the Rural Financial Corporation. Eric, thank you for sharing your experience with us today. Thanks for having me. This episode was produced by Danny Wissentowski. Audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. St. Louis on the Air proudly supports local artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.